Franklin inbounding, full court pressure by the Cougars. Hamlet will retrieve the inbound pass. Five seconds to go. Hamlet from the left wing. She will put up a floater, drive to the basket, and the Crusaders win at the buzzer! Here's Reynolds, step back, 4-3, and the win, no good. Valpo wins! Valpo wins! Valpo wins 94-91. Valpo advances the best game I've ever seen for the Valpo women's basketball team. They beat the Detroit Titans by a score of 94-91. Valpo wins the game. They advance to round two of the Horizon League tournament. This is the Overtime Podcast, the official podcast of the Valparaiso women's basketball team. Each week, we bring you in-depth interviews and discuss all the latest in Crusader hoops. And now, let's meet the starting lineups for today's episode. From Miami, Florida, Justin Reese. From Chesterton, Indiana, Jordan Morandini. And from Portage, Indiana, Brandon Vickery. Welcome, everybody, to this week's edition of the Valpo Women's Basketball Podcast. Brandon Vickery, glad to be joined by Jordan Morandini and Valpo assistant coach Justin Reese. We have a busy week, three games to talk about, and then we get set. And believe it or not, the end is here as far as the regular season goes. The final game of the regular season coming up on Saturday against UIC. Uh, Time flies, and we'll talk about uh, getting set for that final game and that senior day on Saturday as we move along in the podcast. And a bit later on, we'll also... Uh, chat with the two seniors and hear from Haley Thompson and Imani Scott Thompson on the podcast today. Uh, but let's jump in and start with the first game of the week, which occurred on Thursday night. It was Oakland beating Valpo by a score of 98-60. to 60. Jordan, let's go to you first today. And really, uh, anyone watching the game, the biggest theme and the biggest problem was pretty obvious, and that was Oakland's pressure defense in the early going. Yeah, and I think through two games, the, the two games that these two teams have matched up, I think it's pretty clear that Oakland just matches up really well with the Crusaders. I mean, they have, the, as you touched on, the athleticism to pressure and from full court. Uh, and it's kind of a tough matchup for the Crusader guards uh, when they have to handle that pressure in the backcourt and Hannah and Meredith. Uh, and the thing is, they can do it for long periods, too, and it's tough to consistently beat a press, but specifically when you don't get that confidence early in the game to beat the press, and they didn't get it early in this one, and it's really, in my opinion, been I mean, pretty clear the difference in the two meetings. And, Justin, it does seem like it's one of the toughest matchups for your team in the league. Uh, potentially, if, if you get a third meeting with Oakland, what are some things you could do to, to minimize that? And it did seem like you figured out the pressure a little bit as the game went along. Yeah, it was, it was pretty disappointing in the sense of the way we prepared, knowing what Oakland does and what they're so successful with when they, when they do play well is you know, speeding up the game, getting a lot more possessions, and, and really turning it into, a, again, as I use the, the air quotes, uh, the, the pickup basketball, and they do a fantastic job of it. Uh, surprisingly enough, the, the, our first meeting, while we didn't handle their half-court pressure very well, where they were just kind of man-to-man on the ball, uh, we ripped right through the press early, and they kind of went away from it. Now, again, the, the final score didn't reflect that in any stretch of the way because o- the way Oakland shot the ball. Uh, but we didn't have the issues with the press that we did in our last game, so we were pretty disappointed with that. They really did a nice job of kind of – they made an adjustment and pushed up a, an extra player to kind of cover against our press break. Um, but like you said, once or, one or two times we were able to kind of get through it after that. But even before they put their pressure on, they put their pressure on just about right before the media timeout. We already had six turnovers before then just in the half court. So uh, as Jordan already mentioned, we had kind of already shot ourselves in the foot with our confidence factor just in the half court with some of our sloppy ball handling and some poor decision making. 
uh, only to give Oakland that extra confidence and, and, and juice we definitely didn't want to give them. So when they locked in their full-court pressure, uh, it kind of it threw us for a loop, uh, gave our kids a, another kind of minute to kind of you know get knocked backwards and really not get their ground again until we called the second timeout uh, to get ourselves adjusted, get ourselves locked back in, uh, line up in the right way we needed to for our press break. I mean, it was it was unfortunate to watch as, as, as our preparation just went right out the window as soon as Oakland went to it. Uh, we weren't even able to line up the very first time we saw Oakland's pressure and immediately turned it over. So we went from six to seven turnovers and, again, another four points just like that. Uh, so give credit to Oakland uh, and the way they handle it. Uh, you guys mentioned it's a tough matchup. Uh, sure. I mean, it it's definitely is. I mean, their athleticism in, in the backcourt is, is, is unmatched as we've talked about before on this podcast as far as just straight up and down speed and what you do when you turn the ball over. Nobody in our conference can match what Oakland does. Uh, so we were pretty disappointed in the sense of, of the way we performed coming out of the gates. Uh, that first quarter was um, uh, anything but what we anticipated as far as our performance. Uh, but again, when you just look at that turnover number, and we listed the ridiculous numbers from the last matchup as we you know, kind of looked ahead to this game last week, uh, and they were very similar to it. Again, 36 points off turnovers, and uh, we were never really able to get out of that first quarter to make it the type of game we thought it could be. And Jordan, when we look uh, at this game, obviously when it, when it was lopsided earlier, your bench is going to play a little more than it would in some games. And I thought there were some strong performances from the Crusaders off the bench, and a couple of the pieces off the bench have started to come around a little bit. Yeah, I agree. I think this is something that has really improved as the season has gone on. Uh, in my opinion, the Crusaders, they've turned into a deep team, and this is a Horizon League that has some teams that really aren't that deep. So in my opinion, they're one of the deepest teams in the Horizon League when it comes to there's not too much of a drop-off from the starting five to when you bring in some of those bench players. I think that's important. Uh, and in this one, you got some good games. You touched on, uh, you know, Maya had a good game. Grace was in double figures. Allison and Haley had solid games off the bench. To me, the bench is one of the strengths for the Crusader team, and I think that's really important. In this week, Justin, we saw some highlights out of Maya Meredith, who had uh, probably the least playing time of any of your freshmen for sure uh, this season. She starts to get some more minutes this week, and uh, there were certainly there were a few passes. It was like, wow, did you see that pass? Uh, so there was uh, started to see some of that potential this week. Right, she's certainly getting the least amount of minutes of our available freshmen. Obviously, we have two who've been out for the for the year with injury, but. Uh, uh, this is kind of what we expected from Maya. She was slowed early as she came in in, in, the, in the preseason with an injury uh, that kind of held her out of some of the conditioning and some of the workouts early, and that put her behind off the bat. And uh, She's still learning to play with the pace uh, that we need her to play and that she's capable of playing, uh, but she has a chance to be special with her ball handling, her ability to see the floor, and actually deliver the pass on top of that. So when we can get her all caught up and she's feeling confident, uh, like you had glimpses of this past weekend, and not just this game, but the other two games as well. We had some flashes of it, and uh, she was fantastic in the Detroit game as we move forward. But uh, that kid has, again, as we, we've mentioned, as we talked about in the recruiting before and the earlier and where she could be and what she can do, uh, this is what we expected out of her, and we know that we're going to see in the future when she kind of catches up to the pace of the game and, and plays confidently that way. And to touch on one of the Oakland's players, Taylor Jones was, as expected, a standout. And she's one of the best players, certainly, that comes off the bench in the Horizon League and maybe one of the best players overall, 25 points on 10 of 16 shooting. Yeah, she does a, a fantastic job with what her role is and what they expect her to do and, and why they bring her off the bench when you kind of look at it. Is she one of their top five players? She's easily probably in their top two, to be quite frank. But the way they have their system set up, She's accepted that role, loves that role, doesn't care about starting because she knows she's finishing games. And she really excels because now when she comes in, 
she's generally coming in against a second unit, which is a, usually a subpar defensive unit, so she can get herself off to a quick start and get her confidence rolling, and now it doesn't matter who's guarding her, so Oakland does a nice job of setting her up in the sense of when she gets her first few minutes, and it's not, you know, it's not like it's long into the game. She's not sitting for five, six, seven minutes at a time. You know, one, two, three, four minutes max, and boom, she's in, and by then, generally, somebody's already made a sub. Now, she, if she didn't already have an advantage, she certainly has an advantage over a second unit player, uh, and she does a great job of that, and she really fits into the new pressure that they've used this year almost exclusively, uh, something different than they haven't done last year in the way they pressure. It really fits her skill set, really suits her athleticism, uh, and she takes full advantage of it. And again, she had a great game against us where I felt as though we did a reasonable job the first time, at least locating her and keeping her, off the, and, and keeping her out of the paint, I should say. Uh, this time she was able to kind of slash and, and do whatever she wanted to and create inside the paint. Uh, we were able to kind of run her off the three-point line this time, so it was kind of a catch-22. She beat us both ways, both games. We want to belabor any of the points from this game, so we'll move on from that one on Thursday night against Oakland and turn the page to one of the most exciting and thrilling finishes of the season that occurred on Saturday afternoon as Valpo edged out Detroit Mercy by a score of 57-55. to 55. And this one, uh, boy, I guess where do you start? <laughs> Let's start with the finish. And Jordan, the end of the game... Uh, was certainly wild and uncanny as Detroit Mercy tied the game uh, at 55 uh, with uh, three seconds and change left. And then they accidentally fouled in the backcourt thinking that Valpo still had the lead. Sent Georgia Donchess to the free throw line. She hits two free throws to win the game. I don't know that I've ever seen a, a finish quite like this one. Yeah, it, abs- <laughs> it was absolutely insane. I can't say I've ever seen that type of finish. Uh, with, with a mistake that a team made, and when when you're tied and you foul in the backcourt like that, but I think I thought on a Crusader standpoint, it was a great turn of events for you know a team that has been kind of on the wrong side of a lot of things this season. It was kind of nice to see the Crusaders catch a break, especially against a very talented team in Detroit. You have to give it to Georgie as well; those are pressure free throws, and she went went straight to the free throw line and hit them. So. Yeah, a very crazy ending to that game, no question about it, Brandon, but it, it was nice to see the Crusaders be on the, the good side of that crazy ending. And uh, Justin, for the, the second straight time, you did a good job against the preseason player of the year in the Horizon League and Rosanna Reynolds as she once again settles for seven points. We talked last week, you might not hold her without a made field goal and like you did the first time, and you didn't. She went three of ten, but it was a pretty solid performance against Reynolds, right? Uh, we were again. We felt confident about our defensive game plan, and, and you know, heck, we even, we felt pretty good about what we were going to do against Oakland as well. So it kind of is a an, an epitome of our or a microcosm of our entire season with what uh, uh, what results we kind of bring to the floor with our mental makeup. But came out with a renewed kind of uh, you know energy level, excitement, if you will. You know, disappointed with the way we played against Oakland. Uh, only had the quick turnaround as far as that. But we knew we had a solid game plan from the first time. I know that we had a really, really suspect third quarter in their building that really cost us the game. But generally speaking, if you, if, if you can, and again, this is, it's a big if, eliminate that third quarter, for the most part, we felt like we were the better team that night. Now, again, that third quarter was so drastic that was the turning point and allowed Detroit to pull away easily. But we knew if we could stick to it and maintain our energy for a full 40 that we would give ourselves a chance to win. So we did that. The defensive game plan was very, very good. We did a nice job, and our kids bought in wholeheartedly, forcing Detroit into things we didn't want to do, limit the amount of scorers, and run them off a three-point line. Again, they took 29 of them, but again, if when you watch the tape and you watch the film or if you were fortunate enough to be here in person and watch us play, 
you saw how hard we were chasing and, and running at kids. So every single time, I don't think there might, of those 29, there might have been three or four that were wide open. The other 25, uh, there was a Crusader player running at them or having a hand up in their face. So that was a big part of what we needed to do and what they do offensively. We were successful with it. We were solid on the boards, especially on the offensive end, and, and mostly following up the ones that we needed to get kept them off the offensive glass for those long rebounds on those three-pointers. So we, we felt good about it. We were able to execute it. It was, as Jordan mentioned, it was nice to see one of those end breaks kind of go our way. Um, it was a little weird in how the whole thing un, un, unfolded. We knew what they were going to run. Uh, we defended it reasonably well early, uh, and then Rosanna made a great play to kind of cut it back and get herself to the paint and give herself a great look, which she was able to knock down. Uh, then there was just kind of, you know, all haywire on both ends there in those last three seconds. But uh, as you mentioned, it was nice to have one of those breaks go our way. And in the end, we had to step up and make the free throws. So as much as there was a break, if you will, for us, we still had to step up and make the play. We were able to do that. And, and again, a beat a top four team in the conference shows what we're capable of when we can stay locked in for a full 40. And you, you mentioned limiting the amount of scores. I thought it was interesting at halftime, only one of their starters had scored, not something you see too often. At four of the, uh, the team's five starters held scoreless in the first half. Uh, is there something about Detroit? Because it seems like uh, over the years, and this is a team that every year Coach Doro has been here, Valpo has at least one win against Detroit, the only team in the conference, and they've had some good teams that uh, she's beaten every single season, and they've had some good teams, and this year is probably the best team of that group. Mm -hmm. uh, is there something? Is there some uh, magic formula to beating them, or is it just uh, happened to be that you, this is a team you've gotten now last year in the tournament and this year? Well, it's not so much a, a magic formula. It's just kind of how you devise and what you kind of do on your defensive end and what you can take advantage of on the offensive end each time. And as we mentioned in the, in the Oakland, uh, you know, as we, in, the, in the lead up, I should say, as we talked about in Oakland, sometimes the matchups just are a little bit favorable in your way. No matter how good a team is, everybody matches up with everybody a little bit differences in your strengths and weaknesses. So possibly we have better matchups with Detroit. Not to say Detroit doesn't have fantastic players. They wouldn't be in the top half of the league if they didn't. And they know how to win successfully and they're a fantastic team at home. I mean, they're undefeated this season at home. Uh, so they're, they're winning the games they're supposed to win. But, again, it really just comes down to matchups and then making plays when you get those opportunities. Sometimes we've been able to do that as far as, a, as the Valpo team goes. Uh, however you want to look at it on Detroit's end, they've, they've kind of been at the other end of that against us. So uh, it, it has more to do with matchups than I think specifically the, the, the team or the jerseys Detroit wear or whatever they bring to the table. Uh, because they're, again, as you've mentioned the last two years, they've been one of the best teams in our conference. Uh, and they showed that this weekend even after bouncing back from our game. Uh, go ahead and knocking off Wright State, the number one team in the league as well. So they're clearly uh, at the top half of that league. I really do think it just comes down to matchups on both ends. They match up with us very well on the defensive end. We feel like we match up with them well on the defensive end, and we kind of really battle each other on those defensive game plans. And this is kind of what it comes down to is the last possession when you have that. And at home, we were able to do that. We had a few of our bench players kind of step up and make some nice plays for us to get some scoring when we needed it. But again, that's what you expect at home. So those types of things kind of fall your way when you get that opportunity. And Jordan, to double back to something Justin and I talked about, I know you've talked about the point and brought up the point quite frequently that Bethel's done a good job against other teams' top scorers. Yeah, and I mean, we had Justin touched on it here. They did another fantastic job on Reynolds once again. And this is the second time now that they've held Reynolds into single digits uh, in the two meetings. And of course, it was obviously a key uh, to, to this game. I mean, I mean, seriously, she had, what was it, five points before she hit that final shot? That is a phenomenal job on one of the best players in the league. 
uh, and it's just, a, I mean, you can't say enough about that effort, and it was huge, vital in the win. Uh, the other another thing that stands out is I, th- I think I thought it was interesting that Amber Linford is another double double. But it's, whenever she gets a double double, Justin, you win the game uh, this season. Three times she's had a double double. Three times you've won those games. Certainly, I think that it was only so simple, yeah, right? right? I mean, I mean, oh, well, there's the game plan. What you is you just do. figured it out. Brandon's no. now on the coaching staff. Uh, yeah. No, I mean yeah, I, I, you're 100 percent right. Yeah. When she shows up. And she's able to bring that kind of performance and, and maintain that energy level through a full 40 or whatever her minutes are. Uh, we're a different team. She does so many different things for us on the defensive ends. You know, half the time she may not even be involved in the play, but because she's there, the opponent's not willing to drive in there or even a, you know think about anything within the paint. So it changes the dynamic defensively between block shots, her alterations, and intimidations. When she's able to follow that up and give us boards and, and, and points, I mean, it's – it's just a flash of what you're going to see as she continues to develop. As I've said time and time again on this podcast, we forget how young she is and how young most of our team is. This young lady, who again, has a chance, in my opinion, will be, if she's not already going to be this year, Defensive Player of the Year once, if not twice, in this conference, and one of, if not the best post player in this league by the time she's done. Well, beating Detroit Mercy is certainly uh, exciting, and there are a ton of positives from the game. But one thing, Justin, though, I do want to ask – you build a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter. How do you better close out the game so that it doesn't have to come down to the finish the way it did? That's tough to do against teams of that caliber. I mean, you've got to give Detroit a lot of the credit for that. You don't want to just focus on what we didn't do because the reality is, is we built the lead, and when you watch it again, there weren't a lot of necessarily turnovers that kind of sparked the difference. It was more about we missed some shots, which – has what we've done all year. I mean, this is what we are and what we've become. When we're successful, the games are in the 50s, the low 60s. When they get to the high 70s or 80s, that's not a Valpo win. If you can look back, and any time we've been in conference, you're just not seeing us pull out a W. So whether we like it or not, this is what we are, and this is the kind of team we're going to be if we're going to have success as the, as the rest of the season kind of lays out. So when it kind of comes to fruition, this is what we're about. So, again, Detroit really kind of made the run I think showing their toughness and why they're one of the top half teams in the conference uh, they made some great plays they made some tough shots uh, they, they hit a really the big three at all you know before it even got to the situation where Reynolds was able to hit that shot they hit a really clutch three with a hand up in a tough spot with under a minute to go well designed well executed play again you have to give Detroit players that opportunity because that's not enough just to design that play as a coaching staff the, the kid has to go out and hit the shot and, and to hit that shot in that moment in that clutch spot, give them a lot of credit for that. So uh, there's something to be said about who does it and who you're playing against, so you have to give Detroit credit. But there's also that thing, again, where are we at in the conference? How many conference wins do we have? How many times have we been in that position? So learning how to win and actually finally pulling it through are keys to that growth process and where we're building the program. So we're happy to kind of face that adversity in the sense of, yeah, we had a nice lead. Detroit made a tough battle and pushed it all the way back and gave it a tie. But in the end, we won. So that's the, the opportunities that you have to examine, enjoy, and appreciate as you continue to build in this process. Yeah, again, Valpo beats Detroit by a score of 57 to 55. And to give some of our uh, fans listening some perspective that might not know, this is a Detroit team that beat Green Bay and then they turned around after this loss against Valpo and beat the first-place team in the conference in Wright State on Monday night. This is one of the best teams in the league, and certainly the signature win of conference play for the Crusaders. 
this season. And now we, we move ahead and talk about Monday night as Milwaukee beats Valpo in Milwaukee by a score of 82-64. Unfortunately, not a lot of time to enjoy that big win as Crusaders hit the road the next day, had to get ready for Milwaukee and drop that game, uh, again, 82-64. But uh, there was, Jordan, a really strong performance in the first half out of Valpo, and I, I felt like this was a half where Milwaukee did play pretty well, but Valpo was just better in that first half. Yeah, I agree with you there. A lot of things went right in that first half, and we talked about this a little bit on the broadcast. It, like you mentioned, it wasn't like Milwaukee played a bad half of basketball. The Crusaders were just the better team in the first half of this game. I mean, offensively, they came out lights out, shot the ball extremely well from three early on, and as the offense slowed down a little bit in the second quarter, I thought the key was that they were still able to maintain that lead, and that was a good defensive effort on Milwaukee in the second quarter. They held them to just 10 points. Uh, in, in the first half, I mean, they shoot over 40% from the floor, over 40% from three. And another key in that first half, too, they did a really nice job on Milwaukee's star players. Linder was held to just five points, and Kostowicz was held to three. So overall, this was, in my opinion, one of the best halves that we've seen this team play this season. Justin, one thing with Milwaukee and going up against Milwaukee is it seemed like you implemented a little bit of a quicker offense. Uh, what was the, the game plan offensively to kind of try to exploit the Panthers and how'd that play out in the first half? I think in the first half it really kind of dictated in the sense of how we defended, which allowed us to kind of get out and use one of uh, the few times we have a speed advantage at every at all spot. We feel like we were faster at all five positions, where generally speaking you can pick maybe we're faster in the perimeter maybe we're faster in the post position. We really felt like we had an advantage, at least speed-wise, uh, at all five in this particular game. So we tried to take advantage of that in the sense of not so much that we wanted the tempo to be this outlandish thing where we're trying to get to 100, but we felt like we could get to our spots where we wanted to get the shots early or at least establish our position early and then execute the offense through that. And we were able to do that, but that really all sparked with our defensive effort. We kind of struggled with that a little bit in the first quarter got our bearings about you know about the seven minute mark and really kind of locked in for the rest of the half defensively and that's what really allowed us to kind of get out and generate that offense uh, holding a really strong offensive team to only 29 in that half exactly where we needed to be as we just talked about the point totals and and where we need to hold teams to key in the offensive situations where we can get wins we had done that so again using that speed using kind of our ability to get in an established position early uh, was really the difference because we were able to defend the three-point line as you guys mentioned hold two of the best post players in the conference to eight points total uh, unfortunately they came out with a little bit different uh, attack mind in that third and, and unfortunately we weren't able to match it but uh, that was the difference and Jordan before we get to the second half here I think the other thing was we thought there were a number of highlight reel plays uh, as far as the Crusaders go in that first half uh, certainly some impressive shots and some impressive plays yeah, and some shots that you know we haven't really seen go in for a majority of this season. Uh, a couple come to mind. Uh, Maya Meredith had a couple really, really nice passes in that first half to create some easy looks. We saw Grace Hales kind of show off her mid-range jumper game in that first half. And, you know, yeah, as you said, just some shots that, in my opinion, you know, haven't been going in throughout the year really did go in in this first half. And it's crazy what happens when the ball goes in the hoop, isn't it? The team looks just a lot better offensively. Yeah, it really does. Uh, well, the ball certainly went in the hoop for Milwaukee in the third quarter as they shoot 86.7% and score 32 points, more more points than they had at halftime in the third quarter alone. And it really it only took about 90 seconds to see that things had turned around after halftime. Uh, Justin, what was the conversation at halftime? And 
Uh, why was there such a, a staggering difference right away in the second half? You know, as, as I look back, I, st- I start to think, and what did we talk about at halftime that could have possibly, um, you know, changed or, 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 you know, gave us a different spark coming out or, or some sort of energy level or whatever the case may be. And you look back, and I don't know what more we could have done or what we could have said differently. Uh, you know, as you watch the tape, you, you wonder, did we just not, did we run out of gas? You know, as, as Milwaukee had, you know, had an extra day of prep and we're sitting at home as we had to play and then travel. You know, whether we like to admit it or not, those things do play a factor in this, in this late in the year, especially against a high-quality opponent like Milwaukee. But it turned so fast, as you mentioned. I mean, we go in there with, with a, with a five-point lead, and literally we're down five within the first minute and a half. Uh, I'm not sure I've seen anything like that in quite some time, how fast it happened. I mean, there was a 10-0 run, then it turns 13-0 before we actually get a bucket. Uh, it, it was shocking. I don't have a, a specific answer as to what we could have done differently outside of when we stepped on the floor in the second half as a complete unit and as a team, we just weren't ready at all on any factor in any phase. They only gave up 10 in the entire second quarter. We gave up 10 in the first 90 seconds of the third. I mean, it was just, for lack of a better word, it was absurd. It's not something I've ever seen. Uh, it was incredibly disappointing to see all the hard work and what we had put in, again, against a top-quality opponent on the road. Tough turnaround, as we already mentioned, travel one day. We were really excited. We felt like our team would maybe we're starting to turn the corner. We had a huge win against, you know, uh, Detroit. We're against another top-quality team here in Milwaukee on the road. We're giving them all we can handle. We're really generating the momentum we need heading into the conference tournament, or at least that's where our minds were at as a coaching staff, uh, only to kind of have it see it unravel there in the first 90 seconds was pretty disappointing. By the time we got our bearings back again, about the start of the, th- the fourth, it was a little too late as they go off for a 32-point quarter on us, and again, that's more than they had the entire half, the first half. So th- those are just big numbers that we're not capable of coming back from just yet because of our offensive struggles that we've had all year. Uh, I don't have a specific answer to go back to your original question about what was said because whatever was said was left in the locker room. It yeah. certainly didn't translate to our performance and our efforts in the second half. So I know as a team and as a coaching staff, we're very disappointed with that third. Uh, it's definitely something as we get through film and we prepare for UIC, we'll, we'll try to take advantage of as far as uh, making the necessary adjustments and changes. And Justin, I guess one of the big mysteries, and it's simultaneously good news and bad news, is that games that you're losing in lopsided fashion, it's not like the other team is consistently better over the course of the entire game. We mentioned that first Detroit meeting as a, an example with the one bad quarter, and then here things really turned at the half. So on one hand, it's good that you're not just uh, talent-wise the worst team and they're just beating you over the course of the whole game. But then on the other hand, I'm sure it's frustrating because you're right there, you're winning the game against Milwaukee, and then things turn that quickly. Sometimes that makes it more frustrating because you know, um, or at least you feel, talent-wise, you're right there, give or take, you know, matchup or particular team or player, whatever the case may is. So you, so you know you're building at least talent level where you need to compete in the Horizon League. But mentally, we have not uh, made the progress we need to make as far as our youngsters. Again, we keep pounding the, the, their heads and their experience level is way more than most sophomores or ever will be or, or even our freshmen at this point. But the consistent youthful mistakes that we make um, are mind-blowing at times. Um, and then again, you turn around and you watch us play against Detroit and we look like that experienced team and we don't make those mistakes and we don't turn the ball over uselessly or carelessly against a high-quality opponent. So it's frustrating. Uh, you know you have the talent. 
it's even more frustrating when you know the thing that is costing you these games in the sense is something that is to a certain degree out of your control because you can only do so much on the psychological level if you will to to get them ready you can prepare them you can give them the game plan you can give them everything about your opponent uh, and you hope that's right and in generally speaking we've been we'd like to think as a staff we've been right on with our game plans uh, but sometimes we're lacking the mental execution on the end of it and that's the part that we we're trying to hammer home uh, we're making progress at times but then yes we take a step back like it's again a perfect example is that third quarter alone you know you could take the first six quarters of from you know previous six quarters I should say all four against Detroit and even though we didn't play great in those our mental fortitude and how strong we were and how we didn't rattle under pressure right there boom where has this team been right then you go into those first two quarters on the road again against a top half opponent in Milwaukee again senior night big night for them nice crowd everything's there we had one day turnaround and travel an experienced team goes in there and plays well like we did for the first two and then our young kids showed up again they you know they kind of jumped out at us again and boom there they are in the third quarter are we even supposed to be here oh we're tired or whatever the you know whatever could be going through their head who knows but that's when you see where our experience level kind of you know rear its head if you will and we're, we're still desperately trying to get over that hump and we're getting closer uh, but we're not uh, anywhere near where we need to be Let's shift gears and talk about uh, the seniors uh, here just for a second going into Saturday, and then we're going to lead into the interviews with Haley and with Amani here to, to hear their thoughts as they prepare for senior day. Uh, but first of all, before we talk about them specifically, Justin, maybe a general senior day question. Do you have any, any memories of your own senior days or as a coach or as a player? What, what's that day like when you know it's your last home game as a player? You know, I, I don't necessarily remember too much of the, the, the pre game celebrations and you know outside of being there with my family and, and being able to have them all there for uh, the game was you know truly special I don't remember much about the game uh, quite frankly I don't even remember if we won or we lost I just remember being afterwards knowing it was my last home game that I wasn't going to put this jersey on knowing we were going to go into the conference tournament you know you know that's just it's just not the same uh, and I just I didn't take it off for hours you know I mean I, I just I, I stayed in the locker room um, for you know, two or three hours after my last game, knowing I wasn't going to put it on again, at least this particular jersey in this gym. Uh, and that was tough. That was tough. And I and tried to kind of reminisce about the good and the bad. And I, you know, I had plenty of ups and downs during my career. So in that respect, I would encourage any senior in that moment to, to really, whether you do it before or after and before you take that jersey off, really reminisce and soak it all in because you don't get it back and, and take advantage of however much time you get or however much time you want to stay in it because it's just you you really feel and get a different sense of who you are or how you feel when you put a jersey on to go out there and play and when you take it off for the last time um, make sure you savor it before you do it and it's a unique senior class and it's only two players and then neither were here as true freshmen both transferred into the program uh, and I think you answered a question earlier this season and said their uh, their legacy is still yet to be written. And I think that could still apply at this point Absolutely. with the end of the regular season and the conference tournament still on the horizon. No doubt about it. I think both of these young ladies have experienced tremendously different um, senior years in the sense of what their expectations were and how things have kind of come to fruition. Uh, a lot of that's been out of their control due to injuries and, and, and sickness and things outside of basketball altogether have really kind of uh, taken these two young ladies in different directions and certainly could have taken them completely out of the program had they so desired and, and 
the adversity they both had to overcome within the last, you know, six months to a year has been incredible uh, and more power to their personal strength. And then and that just shows you what they bring to our team. So a lot of times people wonder about, you know, their productivity and what are they doing and how is it helping as far as minutes or, or, or statistical categories. And honestly, for these two seniors, there's not a single part of the actual on the floor in the middle of a game statistical things that mean anything. What these two young ladies have brought to us as far as the actual mental strength and the thing that we're lacking the most of, these are probably our two strongest ones as far as their mental makeup and what they've had to endure and overcome just to even be with us here at Valpo. So if there's anything about what their legacy is going to be about and hopefully what they've helped these young ladies learn who are underneath them is what that mental strength takes and what it's really about to overcome adversity because no one can speak more to it than either one of these two. I'm really proud of them both for doing that, what they've had to overcome this year, even if you just focus on just this season. They've both come in tremendous amounts, and, and it's just so much they've had to jump over and get through and fight through and, and overcome just to still be a part of it and get to put that jersey on as we just talked about. So I'm really proud of both of them. Uh, and if anything, I'm hoping they can continue to lead us with that mental strength as we head to the conference tournament. Well, uh, without further ado, let's hear from the two seniors, Haley Thompson and then Amani Scott Thompson. As we continue the podcast, Jordan and I are glad to be joined by Valpo senior Haley Thompson as we get set to talk about senior day and the close of her Valpo career. Haley, first of all, uh, thanks for spending a few minutes with us. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, no problem. Glad to be here. Uh, well, Haley, it's been obviously a year where injuries have hindered you and you've gone through the concussion issues. And there was a point here recently where we thought we might have seen the last of you, uh, quite frankly, because you went out with another concussion, but you were able to battle back from that. What's that experience been like this season of just trying to, to get through that obstacle? Um, well, to be honest, I thought I might be done as well, um, not only physically, but the doctor even told me that if I wanted to be done, he can write it up for me if I was concerned for my own health. But I wanted to make it back because I had family coming out for these last couple games. And I thought it would be important for them to see me play, even though I guess I wouldn't have minded being out. <laughs> Haley, you're a fifth-year senior. I mean, a lot, there's a lot of young players on this team. Uh, just how do you use your experience to help them? I think more so it's just um, a knowledge on the court, and I think helping them through emotional issues that I think everyone I've seen go through this program have been through. Um, <clears throat> and then just trying to leave them on the court being vocal because that is definitely something we lack, and I know Georgie helps with that too, but um, they'll get better. <laughs> They're just freshmen. Uh, well, Haley, whenever you close out a, a certain chapter, I'm sure there's some uh, emotion tied with it. What's it going to be like to know that it is your final home game in a Valpo uniform on Saturday? Um, bittersweet, I guess. I'm excited to be done. Um, but I guess, you know, it's nice to know that I made it through this and, you know, it's exciting. I was, I was a D1 player, so that's cool to say. And specifically, obviously, you know, being a five, you battle with Amber probably every day in practice, the same position. How do you feel like specifically with her, you've helped her grow from year one to year two? Oh, um... I definitely, I, I feel like I definitely helped her grow, um, starting out here with Sharon, and you know, it started with her, us battling, then when Amber came, she realized she had to become physical, she couldn't just stand there and be tall, she actually had to, you know, be more, um, 
you know, challenging her with an outside shot as well. You know, that challenged her to get in the gym more and shoot. And, you know, she has gotten better. I don't think she's taken too many threes this year, but she can shoot them. And she's like, we're trying to encourage her and give her the confidence and hopefully, you know, the right mindset and mental toughness that she needs because that's really all that she's lacking now. And Haley, it's certainly been been quite the journey since transferring in here to Valpo and the whole college basketball experience. And I'm sure there's some memories that you'll take away from it whenever a sport is such a big part uh, of what you do in college. Just what will you remember about the whole college basketball experience? Um, <clears throat> I think it's important to take away things that I will learn that I can use, you know, off the court, like my time management skills. And I think um, what's interesting now that I have started to work outside of basketball how you know being on time or getting your things done on time is actually it's big for me and I, I make sure I get it done whereas other people don't and it's so weird to me to think that people are late like that's a thing like I didn't know that actually happens um, and also just my teammates you know um, how close we all were I don't think there's any other division one team that's so close so I think that's cool and you have a specific game or maybe moment that comes to mind in your Valpo career, a favorite? I think the Louisville game was fun. That it's just, I think all the big games we play are fun. Um, we always have good moments, and it helps not only me, but I think the rest of the team to realize that we're not that different. Yeah, they might be a little bit better skilled and athletic, but they're people. They're not, like, superhuman. Well, let's go away from the court and talk about some of your other interests. I know that... Uh, art is one of your big interests just how did that develop what type of art do you do kind of tell us about it and what makes it such a passion for you um I've been drawing ever since I was little but I've never taken art classes until college and it was actually Anne Marie I think what my first year here we needed some kind of um general um like art uh, credits and so I she pushed me to take an art class and I was like oh my gosh this is fun so I kept doing it and I was really sick of biology and I was like doing this for the rest of my career with basketball would suck because you need like eight you need almost all A's for that and I didn't want to put the effort in for that but with art I could so I changed to art focusing on graphic design knowing that that would be more of a practical degree so that's how it started and then moving forward so you're gonna look for a career so to speak in graphic design yeah, um, I'm looking in the Grand Rapids area. Um, I've been out there a couple of times and I really enjoy it. And there's a lot of opportunities, not only out there, but honestly, anywhere you go, I think graphic design is needed and becoming a, a big um, I don't know, job area for people everywhere. Every business needs it. So I don't know. Down, <clears throat> down the stretch of the season now, just what are some expectations you have as the conference season comes to a close and the tournament is coming up very soon? I think with all the games we've played, we've seen some definitely bad games, but we've seen some good games and what we're capable of. I'm thinking, but also very hopeful that we bring it together at least for the first tournament game, you know, like we did last year. And, you know, we can show what we can do and hopefully carry that out through in the next couple of games and get farther in the tournament because we are capable of it as long as we're all together and on point with what we need to do. Well, Haley, I appreciate the time. I know that it's been quite the college journey for you, and great to see you battle back from that most recent injury and get back on the court, and good luck in your senior day on Saturday. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We just heard from Valpo senior Haley Thompson. Now we're joined by the other senior on this Valpo team, Imani Scott Thompson. And Imani, first of all, thanks for joining us. Thanks for spending a few minutes with us today. No problem. 
Well, Monty, uh, just quite simply, what will it be like when you go into Saturday and you know that it's your last home game here at Valpo? Mm, I think it will be like somewhat like bittersweet, but just thankful to have this opportunity and some things have to come to an end, I guess. <laughs> well, let's talk about uh, your skill set a little bit. What's one thing on the basketball floor that you're most confident in and what's one thing that you're, you're working on improving? Um, I would say my strength is obviously three-point shooting. And something I'm working on is like mid-range, like pull-up jumpers. What are you doing to try to work on that? Just like simple workouts with some of the coaches, comb drills, footwork stuff. I know one thing, Imani, that you're really excited about is headed, heading to Ireland at the end of this season uh, to continue playing basketball. How did that develop? Um, actually, the softball coach here, you have to get a recommendation and then like the agency per se, whatever you would call it, has to like look you up, look at your credentials, academic performance, and yeah, that's pretty much. Which was was crazy because I don't even know the softball coach. So, yeah. What do you expect when you get over there? I have no idea. Just to have fun, experience new things, have fun playing basketball. Maybe uh, for a little more detail for people that, that don't know exactly what we're talking about. What type of team are you playing on? And. Uh, I guess maybe some of those other details fill us in. Um, it's called USAAI, USA Athletes International. And uh, it's pretty much like a, a nonprofit where you can go to different countries and only 10 people out of the country get selected to play for this team. So, you know, get selected, we travel together. We have like a, I think like a seven or eight day itinerary where we go to see things, we play against different countries, like stuff like that. So. Not many athletes get the chance to play at the Division One level, and it's always the, the dream, the standard for athletes in terms of getting to college and playing D1. What was it like to, to go through the journey that you did and to get here and to achieve this goal? Um, I would say it was somewhat of a bumpy road, but everything happens for a reason. Um, initially in high school, I had a ton of Division One offers. I was more so like scared to leave home, which is why I didn't take majority of them, and then like, what happened was like my high school coach didn't know what I wanted to do, so he pretty much caught up on my offer. So I had to choose the JUCO route, not a route I wanted to take, but I mean, got positives out of it. So I mean, it was a bumpy road to get here, but definitely grateful. You put up some great numbers at your junior college. Just what was that like? Uh, what did you take away from those? It was, it was definitely fun, especially to like set and break records and become an All-American, like things that I would never even fathom. Um, it was fun. It was really fun. It took a lot of hard work. I mean, I'm grateful. <laughs> yeah. You've had some big games since coming here to Valpo, and it seems like they come against some of the better opponents a, a year ago, games against Louisville and Green Bay. What is it about moments like that that's allowed you to, to step up and have a few breakout games? I don't know. I just feel like you have to play every game like it's your last. Like, just always have fun. Like, that's the main thing. I don't know why I play better in bigger crowds. Um, I don't know, just, and then like when we play, usually when we play against bigger teams, our team's young, so they're kind of, you know, frightened and just gotta, I mean, no need to be frightened. Just go out and play. What maybe parting words of wisdom will you have for the rest of your teammates as you leave the program? Just uh, what advice will you have for some of these underclassmen? Um, probably like keep your head up, like things will change, like dealing with adversity is a life lesson on and off the court, so you can get through it and things will definitely work work for the better if you keep working hard. So 
Imani, appreciate the time. Have fun in your senior day on Saturday. Good luck in Ireland and good luck going forward. Thank you. Come back in now. Brandon Vickery back with you with uh, Valpo assistant coach Justin Reese and from WVUR Sports, Jordan Morandini, as we continue the Valpo Women's Basketball Overtime Podcast. And we look ahead and just one game to look ahead to uh, this week. And Jordan Valpo takes on UIC on Saturday afternoon. It is the final home game of the regular season. It is the final game for the seniors, as we just heard from the two seniors looking ahead to their senior day on Saturday. It's one that you always want to win, and it's important in the standings as well. should be an exciting day on Saturday. Yeah, I agree, and a good opportunity too, you know, with a team like UIC coming into your building, a team that, you know, the first time when you travel to their place, the game didn't necessarily go how you wanted to. Uh, it's a big game, and it, when you look at that first meeting, Brandon, you see, you know, a UIC team that averages just 58 a game. They had 74 in the first meeting. I think that's kind of the key to this game <clears throat> is to do a better job, excuse me, defensively uh, against this team. They really didn't have an answer for a couple of UIC's players in that first meeting. But again, this is a Crusader team like we've talked about that, when locked in defensively, can be a really good defensive team. And I think we see that in this one, this upcoming Saturday. Well, Jordan alluded to a couple of those players, and namely Tony Taylor and Tyra Carlston-Hanberg went off against you the first time. Tony Taylor scores 25 points on 12 shots as she makes 11 of her 12 field goal attempts. What's the game plan uh, against those players going Uh, into Saturday? Not to let them have multiple career highs again like they both did in that game would be the number one key there just to start it off. I mean, I think both of them were darn near perfect from the field as well. So... Uh, definitely frustrating in the sense to have two of their starters, better players, if you will, go for career highs in, in disappointing fashion on what we were able to do defensively. Uh, the, the point total really got away from us as we went to try to pressure them and try and force our way back into it, and we had multiple opportunities to do that. Uh, we cut it to 11 a couple of different times and 12 as well with the ball in hand and shots attempted. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, every time we seemed to do that, we ended up immediately with a miss. That led to a fast break, and it was almost a common theme of the second half as we would try and make a run to get it to single digits every time we had the opportunity to do that. Uh, We came up short, and not only did we come up short on the make or miss, it led to a UIC fast break where they were able to convert and all of a sudden change the momentum again. So uh, that was pretty disappointing. I'm not sure we've had a more uh, disappointing game in the sense of of what we were able to do offensively. Uh, Really felt like we had some good matchups that we were going to be able to take advantage of, and the only one who was able to do that was Amber Linforce for us. I mean, um, the problem was she was giving up just as much as she was getting on the defensive end there, which is very, very rare in her case. So I think our our mental uh, mental approach will be a little bit different in the sense of how our kids look at this game. Uh, I think UIC came out with a lot more fire, a lot more desperation. Felt like they had to have that one more than we did. Uh, We were disappointed in that as a staff. I think that'll change the second time around here at home. As we always talk about, usually your bench players play a little bit better at home. We're expecting ours to show up and help us even more and give us a little bit more on the point side. Uh, But as you mentioned, as far as the standings, this is a big game, and we can finish anywhere between 7th and 10th, and that may not mean a lot as far as uh, outsiders looking in, but it it changes a whole lot in how you want to look at the conference tournament and how you set yourself up if you want to make a run. Uh, Not to mention it's just the, the rivalry game. You know, We're an hour distance apart. It's just a short bus ride. Uh, they got us pretty good at their place, so we're going to be looking forward to making sure we can do everything we can to hope to return the favor here in Valpo. 
and I think a year ago, winning the game in the regular season finale against UIC helped carry over into the conference tournament and helped lead to that upset over Detroit in the first round. And Jordan Lasting from the first meeting, and Valpo shoots 27.8%, but this was a point where they were really slumping offensively. But defensively, they had been quite strong, and that wasn't the case in this performance as UIC shot 55%. Yeah, and <clears throat> specifically those two players were really the ones, Brandon, that hurt them um, throughout this game. But on the you touched on the crusade offensively. I mean, they're coming off a game now at Milwaukee where, you know, offensively they shot the ball a lot better. We're over 40% um, from the floor and right around, I think, 47% or something from downtown. So that'll be crucial. Uh, this is something that, you know, we were kind of expecting. You know, at some point the offense was going to turn around a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see now after that performance in Milwaukee if they can carry that into this game on Saturday against UIC. Well, hopefully everybody listening comes out on Saturday and supports the Crusaders in their final home game of the season. The start time is 1.30, and if you can't, uh, make it out. You can see it as well on ESPN3 or hear it on WVUR. Well, thanks to everybody for tuning in to this edition of the podcast. We'll come back next week and we will recap the final regular season game and look ahead to the conference tournament in Detroit, which begins a week from Friday. For Jordan Morandini and Justin Reese, this is Brenna Vickers saying this has been the Valpo Women's Basketball Overtime Podcast, and I hope you enjoyed it.